Welcome to the Wheel of Sport, home to the greatest sports stories ever told. My name's Ian McNally and with me is... Matt Lavery, Matt Lavery! How are you, Matt? I'm not bad, my man. How are you? I'm pretty excited about this episode. I've got a feeling it might be a, a bit special. It could be. It feels so let, like a special Let's get the one. wheel spinning. I mean, there's lots of things that the wheel has thrown up recently. We've been on so many different adventures. I think this one's going to be special because the topic for this episode is... It's two tribes. Two tribes. And I'm going to take this one, Ian, and I'm going to talk about my tribe, Sunderland AFC. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Here and we our go. massive rivalry. Here we go. Now, I love Sunderland. I love the football club until I met you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you a lot of people You won't like shut up about it. <laughs> <laughs> but we thought it wouldn't be fair just to have me giving a one-side, uh, you know, one-eyed, biased version of uh, why... Sunderland is uh, is the, the the one true team in the northeast. So I've brought in Craig Bowes. Well, yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Craig, to the Wheel of Sport podcast. Oh, I think it's this is perfect for me because either I'm going to see a reconciliation happen in front of me or a fight, and either way, I reckon I win, so it's fine. So, Craig, you're a you're a Newcastle fan. Yes, for me sins, for me sins, uh, currently under the tutelage of uh, War Steve Bruce. Uh, so at, I'm still... At the time of recording, that could change. Yeah, <laughs> that could change very quickly. Um, but yeah, still in mourning over the departure of uh, Rafael Benitez, who was much love on Tyneside and beyond. Um, but no, no, big, big new Castle fan, uh, pretty much all my life. And uh, yeah, followed them through the, the trials and tribulations particularly more uh, tribulations of the last uh, 10 to 12 years of Mike Ashley's ownership. <laughs> Straight into yes, God, that's <laughs> The wheel of politics spins again. It's so good. Yeah. The, the problem with this is it's going to probably be a competition for whose team's in the worst <laughs> state, isn't it? We, we set it up as a, oh, my team's going to be better than yours and these are the reasons why. Whereas as, actually... As long as we all agree never to shop in Sports Direct, we'll be <laughs> Sounds good to me. Here's the question for an outsider looking in. I mean, when two tribes, the topic comes on the wheel, I'm expecting kind of El Clasico or maybe Liverpool-Everton, Tramirovas, Chest, Wrexham. <laughs> I'm expecting the big boys. Now, you both, Sunderland and Newcastle, both consider yourselves big clubs. But why, are you, why do you not like each other? Why is there this animosity? Well... It's interesting because a lot of the big footballing rivalries are within cities, right? So you've just mentioned the Liverpool-Everton derby. There's the Glasgow Celtic derby. There's loads of loads of them in London, Manchester derby. But it tends to be within a city. And I would propose that, you know, a lot of that, that rivalry, it, it's friendly rivalry because they all work together or they're married and they all go into the same office on the Monday and it's bragging rights. But when you're in two different cities, like you said there, that the Clasico, Barcelona and Madrid, it's not just your team, it's your city. It means that much more because you're, you're really looking to take ownership of the best city, not just the best team. So it's much more territorial, isn't I it? I think so, yeah. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think that's it. The ones that spring to mind are like the old firm, the, the Liverpool-Everton, Liverpool-Man United, 
But there is, uh, yeah, it is, it's a fierce rivalry, the, the Newcastle-Sunderland. Um, and there are other teams in the northeast like Middlesbrough, but they sort of uh, largely non-entities in comparison to to Newcastle-Sunderland. And, and yeah, I agree, it's, it sort of does extend beyond the confines of, of one city. Can we just re- replay that for any Middlesbrough fans? <laughs> largely non-entities. <laughs> well, well I, th- I think... Middlesbrough fans being truthful to themselves would probably agree with us. If you go along to the the Riverside Stadium, it's sort of, yeah, it's just all a bit artificial. It's just, it's like the, the third, the third uh, club in the North East. They're the where, forgotten one. They're the forgotten it's one. It's sad because it they, you know, they talk about the, the Tyne Tees derby or the, the Weir Tees derby. And it's no but it's, it's never the same. It, the same. it really isn't. You, it is exa- like if when we sort of, both Newcastle and Sunderland, uh, yo-yo between the Premier League, the Championship and beyond, um, yeah, you, you do sometimes. You might not be able to have the time where you're Derby and you might have to have Middlesbrough uh, as as the Derby companion, but it's just you can't. It, it is sort of exciting, but it's not the same. Mm. It's not the same. The, the the Derby between Newcastle and Sunderland is something else. Um, and as we'll go on to it, probably a bit later, the whenever it's televised, they'll they'll bring it forward as early as humanly possible because it's usually on Sky, <laughs> but it'll be twelve thirty, um, like lunchtime kickoff, if not earlier, because they try to avoid. Uh, and limit the, the the drinking time as much as possible to try to uh, stave off any unruly behaviour. Yeah, that's true. I mean, back in January 2014, after some previous years' violence, and um, yeah, Sunderland had won uh, the year before in, in 2013. They'd beat Newcastle 3-0 up in St. James's, so thanks for letting me mention this early on. Um, <laughs> I, th- there, I, I know where you're going here. There but, was me thinking Middlesbrough brought you together. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, the, after after losing three 0 the Newcastle fans uh, were, were pretty upset and uh, basically ended up rioting and and sort of looting their own city, which was unusual. Um, famously, a man punched a horse, uh, which was awful to see. He he actually later claimed to be an animal lover. Uh, you know, funny way of showing it. But um, yeah, the following year after after this this big riot in Newcastle. Um, the Northumbria police said that you could only travel there as a Sunderland fan if you first travel to Sunderland. And it was sort of, I think it was called the um, uh, bubble commute or something like that. So the idea being that you would be put, you'd be checked in at the Stadium of Light, put on buses and then taken securely all the way to the stadium, regardless of where you lived. So you'd be in a sealed convoy. Yes, so to prevent, and then afterwards as well, you'd be taken back to Sunderland uh, and dropped off there. So regardless of where you live in the northeast, you would have to travel to Sunderland. They would put you in this bubble confinement and take you there to prevent any sort of uh, carry on in the pubs or uh, on the streets of, of either city. But both clubs just absolutely rejected that as a, as a possibility moving like, forward. You know how any of our Australian listeners, how alien and extraordinary that sounds. It's mad, isn't it? I mean, that is so crazy that you think that... Hang on, you think that bit's crazy. What about the guy punching a horse? (laughs) (laughs) How how upset are you? Oh, that's a good Friday night. (laughs) And uh, I think particularly in Australia where you, you have the more neutral grounds where... 
like in AFL, all the supporters generally sit next to each other. And, and, and yeah, the, in English football, it is very much... Of like British football, it's it's you have the home fans and then you have the away hardcore following that will go along to every game, uh, and one uh, yeah just I'm sort of just jumping around a little bit, but we're just on the going back to the fierce rivalry points. It's uh, and and as we'll probably touch on a bit more in a bit la- in more, more detail later. Uh, at the moment, Newcastle and Sunderland find themselves in different divisions, so we haven't had a derby for the last couple of years. But earlier this year, there's a there's an obscure competition called the Checker Trade Trophy, which I don't even know. Is it like the... It's not the League Cup, but it's the, the Football League. It's the Football League Trophy. It's the Football it's League like... Trophy for the bottom two leagues, football leagues, so excluding the Premier League and the Championship. So it'd be for the old Division 4 and Division 3. Yeah, that's so, right, that's right. So it's for the it's for the the lower clubs to have a chance at, at Silverware. And and because Sunderland at the moment are in the, the third tier of English football, so there's like the Premier League where Newcastle are, the Championship, <laughs> and then League One. Also, the the Premier League under-23 teams also enter this trophy in the earlier rounds. So there was a situation which you, you probably could never have foreseen where Newcastle under-23s played the Sunderland first team. I think it was in January this year. Yeah. And I was at the Stadium of Lies. Yes, it was, yeah. And, and there was still a massive crowd turning up for this game. It was like a Tuesday night, like midweek, horrific weather in January. And there was still thousands of people turned up. I think there were, and, I, and I'll admit this, I think there were some idiot uh, Newcastle fans who were ripping up seats in, in, in the stadium of light and chucking them around. <laughs> for, for, like, for, for the Checker Trade Trophy. Checker Trade Trophy. I mean, even... Half Man Half Biscuit, who's referenced on the show before, they've written a song on the most recent album called Swerve in the Checker Trade. <laughs> because it's like, how do I get out of having to go oh. as a season tick holder to watch Rami Rovers play in the Checker Trade? How do I get out of it? <laughs> so it's, it is one of the most le- or the least desirable fixtures to go to. In England, at the moment. yeah, yeah, oh, no, I agree. But I suppose that parochialism as well, like it does run through. It is a feature of English football in the respect that there's 92 full-time professional teams, 92 stadiums. Again, around the the world, people find this extraordinary because it's particularly in a country where distance isn't a tyranny, like in the US or Australia. Mm. I mean, a, a 92 stadiums like really like it's it's so we've something we've grown up with so you never question but when you get down to nuts and bolts it seems very very unusual yeah that's a great point actually because <laughs> it is strange isn't it yeah when you look but then, look you, at, but then you think would you want to share i'd say most most fan bases would no you? most fan bases don't want to share but you know you look at the success stories in like the Allianz stadium in in munich or yeah. the san siro you know there there are great examples and these are muted every time it's like there's a definite efficiency in this mm. and you don't play on the same week anyway like liverpool and everton don't play they play alternate weeks anyway because of police resource yes so why wouldn't you share the stadium and it's like is it red is it blue shall we just merge the teams and maybe play in purple like what do you what do you do didn't wimbledon and palace used to play at sellers park but that, that was just because... That was just because Wimbledon couldn't, had lost their ground. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't find it. It's like a mate whose life's gone off the rails and you, you can sleep at ours for a bit, it mate. Pretty much <laughs> was, yeah. like, take, the, take the couch, but don't stay too long. <laughs> but yeah, it wouldn't work though, as I say, because it's, cause it's uh, you know, 
about 25, 30 miles away in the northeast. And the other thing I think that, that really plays into it is the, the area just sort of economically isn't very strong. There's not loads going on up in the northeast. I mean, Newcastle's definitely the wealthier of the two cities. But the, uh, for that reason, people probably don't have as much going on to look forward to. You know, culturally, there's in sort of from an entertainment point of view, there's not as many theatres or cinemas as, as perhaps there once was. Um, it doesn't get loads of development up in the northeast. And uh, yeah, the, the, the local people... It matters a lot, and and just to just to follow on from that, I think it is. It's like like a lot of um, sort of hardcore football areas. It's a traditional working class area. Like coal mine and um, industry was very prominent until um, the Thatcher years, um, and and I think there's there's a quote from one of Newcastle's favourite um, sons, Jackie Milburn, uh, and I can't remember it exactly, but it's along the lines of that like saying to the to the other players these the people they're working down the pitch during the week they they live in a hard life and they go to the football for an escape so the least that you can do is go out and give like 100 110% absolutely like every game and mm. show that you're working for them and I, and I, and I think that that does so that when Newcastle have had some bad times over the last few years it's we 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 don't expect to be winning trophies, but the the court is that we expect a team that tries, and I think that is it. Probably runs for both teams. That yeah, you, you, you just expect effort because that's what you're doing on a day to day basis. The people who go to to watch to watch the football. So you've got this great rivalry. Clearly, there's got to be with great rivalries come great memories. Other than watching a man. Punch a hole. <laughs> watch, yeah, yeah. If, if it's, if, can you give me a memory that isn't related to civil disobedience? Oh, oh, yeah, so, definitely. Right. Look, most recently, um, Sunderland have have had a bit of success against Newcastle. Uh, I mean, you mentioned playing the under twenty three side. I don't think that really counts. Although we did win that game four nil. Um, but yeah, in the in the games before that, uh, we're now unbeaten in seven uh, competitive, and we we won six in a row, which was. Uh, a big deal. Um, I'm looking at Craig here. He's fuming about this. No, no, this is this is this is something that's brought up. Like this is one thing that I, I'm I'm pretty mild mannered about the whole uh, debate between Newcastle and Sunderland. I was I was mentioning off air that my dad is a Sunderland fan, and me and my two brothers have somehow turned out to be Newcastle fans, and I've got. Uh, relatives who are big Sunderland fans, but one thing that does irk me slightly is this uh, this uh, insistence and repetition of the, uh, the like the five in a row, six in a row, whatever it is. Because yeah, we would probably be doing exactly the same if it was the other way around. But you've got to focus on the bigger picture. Like we're at the end, <laughs> the end of the day. There is no two, bigger picture. Two, at the moment, you're two divisions below us, and, we, and there is a high probability that we'll meet up next year again in the championship when we get relegated. But um, yeah, I think yeah, it's it's it is it is an and it's hard to take. I was and, asked for a favourite memory. <laughs> Rele- relegation twice had Go nothing on. to do with Newcastle. <laughs> Matt, you keep talking. I'll uh, I'll keep Craig on. <laughs> I'll. I'll fade him out. <laughs> no, it was. It, it, it's always such a special day, um, and and there were some great goals. It was just a lot of fun. Uh, I think Defoe's goal was was a real favourite. Um, 
It's 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 hard to think of players that I could say I genuinely am, am proud of or, or really like. Um, certainly recently, probably over the last 10 years or, or more, maybe 15 years. Um, but Defoe was a really good lad. He did a lot for a, a little kid um, who he'd met on a hospital ward and uh, brought him to the game and did loads of charity work with him. So I, I like Jermaine Defoe and he was probably the only one and then he scored a wonder goal uh, against Newcastle so that was probably a real uh, really nice moment for me Craig I'm putting your fader back up now <laughs> Matt, Matt yours goes down <laughs> no and, and, but I think that's the thing even though there is rivalry it, a lot of it's sort of tongue in cheek and, and when there is a real issue like the, the Bradley Lowry charity like both sets of fans got together, yeah, both did. were both were fundraisers, and and yeah, for the serious things, you you do sort of put your the football rivalries aside. Yes, um, but yeah, but, uh, uh, I've got a couple of memories. Just in when Ian asked me to be on this podcast, I was I was back home in in the UK, so I was just digging around in the old bedroom and uh, looking in some old. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> hang on, very, favorite very, memories, <laughs> favorite <laughs> memories regarding the derby. Oh yeah, no, yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, <laughs> the tension in the studio. <laughs> went, Went up. Where's he going I, with this? I am <laughs> very nervous right now. <laughs> no, no, but, but I, I found a couple of old programs. Oh, um, thank goodness. <laughs> and which I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't generally get programs, but I, I, I seem to have got a couple from uh, previous time where your derbies. Uh, the first one was from an encounter in 2005 where through a tenuous connection to one of my best mates whose brother is married to Sholam Yobi's sister, I found myself... <laughs> I found myself in the, in the, in the director's uh, box with a, like absolute cracking seats and witnessing like, a, a thoroughly enjoyable game where I've just made some notes where I think uh, Sholam Yobi scored in the 34th minute, then Liam Lawrence for Sunderland equalised a minute later... Another two minutes later, Schola scored again, and it ended up uh, being four-one that game. But an absolute cracker. There was a there was a time when Schola was referred to. He w- wasn't a fantastic football player, but he did seem to come to life in the derbies, and he was referred to affectionately as the Mackham Slayer. <laughs> uh, and after that, after that game, we went to. Um, we went out to the uh, to Chinatown, which is very close to St James's Park, and had a nice uh, nice dinner with the Army Orby family, and it was really good, really good experience. Got to meet Alan Shearer, yeah, fantastic. Another one was uh, a, a, a year later at the Stadium of Light. The company who I used to work for did some legal work for Sunderland, um, and so me and a couple of other Newcastle fans went along to the Stadium of Life, sitting in in the in the home end. And and were, yeah, were you in full kit? No, yeah. we went. We went. Uh, we went uh, undercover, clandestine, trying to just remain innocuous. But I think in that game, I think well, I know what this. I, I'm pretending not to know, but because <laughs> there's, there's a song about it, which I might go into later. But this, Sunderland scored first. Um, I think it was Justin Hoyt. And then, obviously, you saw Sunderland going absolutely wild, uh, and you, you're fearing the worst. And this is before Sunderland went on this massive run of winning five in a row, six in a row, whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but then we, we, we equalised, and we were sitting in the Sunderland end, trying to remain incognito, and my friend, who has now got a very high-profile uh, job in a, in a, in a law firm, 
jumped up screaming, cheering, forgetting where he was. And he had to change his cheer to, oh, for F's sake, and uh, <laughs> sit on his hand. But we were definitely, our cards were marked from that uh, from that moment. But yeah, that, that turned into, that was a very memorable game because I say, it went from being 1-0 down, and as the song goes, 4-1 up, Albert Luque wrapped it up <laughs> with a knick-knack paddywhack, give you a dog a bone. Uh, and I'm not going to the rest because there's an expletive in it. But that, that was... Uh, <laughs> But it's something with the Mackham's F off home. Uh, but it, that, that was also a memorable game because it was Alan Shearer's uh, last ever goal for New, Newcastle in a competitive fixture where he scored a penalty. What I do remember, the last thing I'll say on that one is uh, walking home because the stadium of light is, um, and I haven't been there for a while, but it's sort of some wasteland on the edge, on the outskirts of Sunderland, and I'd parked my car miles away. And I've never been so scared walking back. And this was in daylight, but thinking I was going to get filled in uh, on the way back and end up in end up uh, dismembered in a ditch on the way home. But anyway, thankfully I did, and it was all right. <laughs> Do you work in real estate? Because you sold the stadium of life really well. <laughs> so you've actually got Craig programs as well, or what did he call them? They call them records in Australia, don't they? Uh, you've got from the actual fixtures as well. Yeah, no, no, it's it's it's. Uh, no, no, it, I, w- I was just actually flicking through them, and, and the one from when I was with uh, with the Amiobis that time, I, I'd completely forgotten that I'd got some autographs. So I'm I'm already been thinking today. I need to get this. There's a there's a spread with some very mediocre players, including <laughs> Titus Bramble, John Allen Boomsong, uh, the much maligned Mike Lowen. Uh, Celestine Barriaro, which I might get, uh, yeah, framed on my wall in uh, my little man cave <laughs> in uh, suburban Mentone. We might take some pictures to put on our Instagram. Um, so for any listeners who would <laughs> like to see the, the medio- mediocrity of uh, of these signatures. And um, like Matt, I'm disappointed you haven't brought any. I didn't bring any any goodies in, I'm afraid. But they these are great just to see the old uh, lineups and... Yeah, some some good players, some some questionable players through throughout the ages. Now, one of the uh, one of the great things of of modern Sunderland is the Netflix documentary, which um, I mean, yeah, it's hilarious, isn't it? But I, I recommend it to everybody because that gives a really good insight into how much it really matters mm-hmm. to the people uh, of Sunderland, and I'm sure if if they were to do one about Newcastle probably wouldn't be as tragic on the pitch but certainly it would mean just as much in terms of the passion of the the local people and i think pre- presumably when it was done it was supposed to be like a, a sort of a fairy tale coming back from the brink fighting again adversity and then back into the premier league but i think that the way that it actually transpired with getting uh, and i'm not, i'm not i'm not gloating about this at all but it was like a a, a consecutive relegation um <laughs> made mean, it actually more compelling viewing and and you did feel like there's some of the characters in that um like jack rodwell came along across incredibly bad as a money grabbing so and so yeah uh, but I quite actually liked the, the the chairman, the Scottish chairman. I felt really sorry for him because he did seem to have the club's best interests at heart. But but he was, very, I mean, it was his arrogance, I think, that signed off on the thing in the first place. He he loved himself. Yeah, didn't he? he was chocolate himself. <laughs> yeah, and it, yeah, exactly. But it does make like a compelling case. It's like if your mate buys a Ferrari, you don't want to hear about it. If he's bought a Ferrari and crashed it out of the showroom, 
then you want to hear the yeah. story. And Sunderland in the last couple of years. I mean, the fact that Tramia Rovers are playing Sunderland this year. Yeah. You know, I mean, we were in the conference in the semi-professional conference two years ago and here we are playing it, it is funny Sunderland. I mean I went to see um, AFC Wimbledon a few years ago in uh, in Kings Meadow uh, I think the capacity there is maybe about a thousand it's just all standing um, and I went down to see Wigan play there and uh, it was it was a great day out but for Sunderland with their 49,000 seater stadium and all of the, the amazing facilities we've got to be playing at that level is uh, it's just embarrassing, really. Because it was definitely like the uh, Premier Passions made all those years back when yep. Peter Reid was in charge. I think you can get the whole series on YouTube. That was, again, like it showed the passion, but it also showed, I don't know whether it's optimism or naivety to you were building <laughs> a, a top, flight Premier League club and with all the frills and that didn't last it's like really um, sad but you know look this podcast has been mainly about you two and your rivalry but I want to tell a bit about my memory of uh, Tramia Rovers when they played Newcastle United in the Zenith Data Cup in 1991 I mean many listeners will remember that Oh yeah, uh, very well (laughs) because it was 3-3 after full time the game went into extra time the score after extra time, 6-6. Six, six. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, and then it Tramia won 3-2 on penalties. Um, but what an extra, like 12 goals in the game. It was one of my earlier memories. It was one of the first ever games on Sky Sports, which had been newly conceived at that point. And one of the Sky producers apparently said, it's all downhill from here <laughs> after that game. <laughs> and then Sunderland had an issue in the FA Cup when they came to Tramia Rovers. I know this one. And uh, Stephen Frail, Scottish defender, he was warming up to come on as a substitute. But just as he was about to come on, the game got stopped because the referee was busy giving Clint Hill, the Tramia Rovers defender, his second yellow card and then a red and Clint Hill walked off down the tunnel. Now, the fourth official held up Clint Hill's number, number six, as though he was the substitute. Frail went on. So Tramia still had 11 men when they should have had 10. I remember. They won 1-0. Sunderland were filthy. Oh, we were, we were very annoyed. We wanted the last... We wanted the game replayed. Yeah. That didn't happen. And then we wanted the last three minutes replayed. <laughs> and that didn't that. happen as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I still remember that. I still remember. How, how do you get extra man on the field? It's just brilliant. <laughs> it's like a, an administrative <laughs> nightmare. Oh. But just a Favorite really... Favourite Yeah, a really <laughs> curious uh, thing is that... The, the, just wanted to get, you know, selfishly get a bit of me in the podcast. <laughs> so... So given the the history, the rivalry, it, what's the future for the both clubs? I mean, is the future that you're both in the Premier League, both you know fighting for the title, and then this rivalry gets when's, back boiling again? When's I mean, the future? <laughs> like, <laughs> how many decades? <laughs> no okay, time it, soon. Is, it, it, does it take, you know, is there a sense that the rivalry is a bit empty right now or it's a bit um, dormant and that it re- will really take kind of, you know, you both, even if it's competing in the championship for the title and one's number one, so. one's number two, do you really need that to I kind think of spark it at any level, together? 
if we play in any any tournament, as Craig said, even in you know the this ridiculous cup where Newcastle brought their under twenty three side, there were still tens of thousands of people there to watch it. So any game, there's going to be passion. But I think most fans of either club would probably prefer us to be having these bouts mm. at at the highest possible level. Um, you know, there's there's a bit of Schadenfreude when one of the teams gets relegated. I'm sure there's a smirk to see Newcastle go down when Sunderland's in the Premier League. But at the end of the day, it doesn't. It's not good for anybody to not be playing each other. So personally, I'd like to see us back, both teams, back in the Premier League and and, and being successful. But uh, I can't see it happening. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I com- yeah completely agree. I think it, it's good for the region. Like I, I don't know what the capacity of the stadium light is, but it's forty yeah, nine. Thousand, I think. Yeah, yeah, and and so that it's significant size stadiums, and yeah, the, the really is 55, 54, 55? It's well, it's it's fifty three and a bit, um, and 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 that's it for like just when I was just having a, a flick through some of the previous encounters between the two sides, they, they just sell out every game. As many people that can cram in the stadium as possible. So I think it is, it is a sad loss that it's not happening. It might happen again next year in the championship before you get relegated, uh, and Sunderland get promoted. But um, yeah, I think the the sooner we sort of reunite, is the the better because they are missed when they're not there. And and when you when you have the games, they're not enjoyable experiences. You just stress the whole game. You're worried about the flack that you're going to get the next day. Especially if you're living in the city where you're going to go into work and you're going to get the Mickey taken out of you. But um, you know, it's, you do miss it when it's not there. Do you know what uh, our history is as well? Excluding when we played the under twenty threes, but competitive fixtures. 53 wins to Newcastle, 53 wins to Sunderland, 50 draws. Yes, yes. So we're currently level pegging, even Steven. Does that mean you merge? It means means the next game matters because one team's going to move ahead. Unless, of course, you count goals, in which case Sunderland are winning 232 goals to 224. Oh, there we go. There we are. So we are the better team. I love the way that you just had to... Take their research to the extra step. Yeah. You utter pedant. (laughs) Now, I thought, Craig, you did a very good job there of kind of trying to bring everything together and make the peace. And the map just blew out of the water with that. (laughs) So I'm going to finish on a non-football related topic, which is uh, one thing that unites us all being in Australia, recording this in Melbourne. Um, Craig, your accent is beautiful. (laughs) Same with you, Matt. Craig, when you... When you order coffee in Melbourne, it's a very Melbourne thing to do. You will give your, they ask you for your name. They say, can I have your name? And you say, Craig, and you get. I've had everything. Honestly, the, the most the, the most common one is, because generally I think people from the Northeast can pronounce the vowels properly. So say Craig, and then, so you get Greg. So, but I've had like, Craig, I think, oh, and once had Adrian, I don't know where the hell he got that from. <laughs> But it's just, yeah, it's like I do struggle with the accent, especially, uh, yeah, regional accent. I think people in Australia, they expect everyone to talk like uh, William, Prince William and, and Harry with uh, like Oxford English and not being aware of the the big regional dialects that exist in about uh, like places that are in quite 
close proximity. There's a marked accent uh, difference between mine and Ian's accents, and we're probably separated by like an hour and a half, couple hours, couple hours drive. Um, so yeah, I've had a few moments about being in Australia um, with the old lost in translation moments, but I think I've been here for a few years now, and if I haven't lost the accent yet, it's it's probably not going to happen. Well, thanks, Craig. Thanks, Matt. That was excellent. Two tribes. It was great to get two people from each tribe in the room together. And uh, I think we'll go for a beer now. Yes. Yeah. Sounds, <laughs> good. Sounds good. And thanks so much for listening to The Wheel of Sport. Make sure you follow us on Instagram or Twitter uh, at The Wheel of Sport or give us an email, uh, thewheelofsport at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you. And make sure you share it or review it wherever you get your podcast. That would be much appreciated because it means more people can find it. And what a treasure trove to find all these greatest sports stories ever told. Thanks so much, Craig. Yeah, thanks, thanks Craig. Thanks, no, thanks very much. Take care. Bye. I see this this summer game as uh, the most important fixture of the season. More important than Manchester United. You get the same number of points, three points. But it's more than three points. More important than Arsenal, more important than Tottenham. Because it's everything to the public in the area. It's, 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 the, it's the result of the region. You don't have two loves. Uh, and in football, you know, the only love that, that you have is crucial to your life.